Daniel Cronin's In Conversation With brought to you by Puris Ultra Pure CBD, the first CBD food supplement backed by clinical studies. Puris is not addictive and won't give you high. Loved by actress and TV personality Martine McCutcheon for general coping and rugby legend Mike Tyndall for sleep. Visit the website today on www.puriscbd.com. Morning, everybody. Daniel Cronin here in conversation with, and this morning I've got Noel Mullins in. Noel Mullins, you're welcome. Good morning, Daniel. Thank you for having me. Noel, uh, a Moore Street man. Moore Street, Lockray, never left it really. They say that uh, you can leave Lockray, but Lockray never leaves you. It sticks to you, doesn't it? And it's 76 years ago. <laughs> And it still hasn't left me, even though I've been out of the town since I was 16 years of age. 16 years yeah. of age. Uh, Dole, tell us about Moore Street back in the day. Oh, Moore Street was a hive of activity. Um, you know, if I turned right coming out the front door, doors were left open all day anyway. So you didn't know where you were going to have your dinner, as they said at the time, because you could be fed by any neighbour, you know. If my mother was off playing golf or something like that, Mrs. Kelly gave me a big slice of brown bread. So you turn right, we had Mary Ann Dooley there, and I do messages for her. Jack Daly was the train driver next door, and uh, he was our hero. He bred Kerry Blues as well. Across the road was Mabel Sweeney. She had a boarding house there. Next door was uh, Mrs. Ryan and Jack Ryan. And uh, every Saturday she bet on Scobie Beasley usually had a Yankee. If it ever came up, she'd be a millionaireess, but it never did come up. <laughs> and I used to go up with the, the bets to the local bookie office for her. Next door was Kelly's, the tailors. There'd be three men on the bench, three tailors, and Mr. Kelly had his own bench. The Stanley Range was going all day. Tea was being made, brown bread was being made, and people were being fed all the customers as they came in. And uh, it was all re ready-made suits that time, you know, you'd, um, or sorry, made-to-measure suits. Made to there measure, was very yeah. little ready-made as such. So you got a bolt of material. And Would they be very expensive, Noel, to do it like that, or depending on the material? Well, you only got a change of outfit once a year, so, uh, okay, so you, you weren't buying fast fashion that time, so you weren't, <laughs> you know, there was no such thing as fast fashion, you were looking. No, Zara. The, the infuriating thing about it was that my mother used to get a bolt of cheap material, but I had to wear the same uh, jacket as my brother, the same colour, so if he went right, I went left, so we wouldn't be seen <laughs> together. <laughs> but Kelly's Kelly's was an education and then we went to McNamee's the, the, the men, the tailors um, we used to go with these flagons and get Guinness for them and they'd put it beside them and they'd have their drop of Guinness during the day King's Garage was next from that and uh, the windowsill there it was like the world news you know, you, you, you got all the news from fairs, from everything there because People, we, we were the original Desmond Morris, you know, man-watching. You know, okay. we spent our days as corner boys, like we were professional corner boys. And uh, <laughs> I remember Josie Morgan, who I spent a long time delivering milk for since I was about 10 years of age. Um, he stopped by McNamee's one morning and uh, a certain lady decided that she would bring the dray back up home. But the pony took off and her up the hill. Anyway, galloped in and hit the pillar of the gate on the way in and the lady went up in the air, but she managed to settle in the in the in the tray, and milk bottles went everywhere. And I remember one of the guys at King saying, "Do you know it was as good as Ben Hur? Charles and Heston wasn't in it with her." 
the pure balance of the lady was incredible. Then we go from there, maybe see what was happening down the Kilboys, what funeral was on, because if you went to a wake, you got lemonade and biscuits. You went down there then to the railway, and the train would be coming in, Jack Daly, train driver, and uh, Tom Neil would have the hackney car outside. And, uh, well, um, if you were well off, you took the hackney car, but otherwise you walked. And then one of our other heroes, Ned Goonan, he had the dray, belonged to CIE, and a big shire horse, and he delivered all the goods around town. And uh, we'd hop up in the back very often, eat hushes off it as such. Uh, but it was a magical place. If I turned left, gone out my front door, I ended up uh, Stanton's, um, McCarthy's, you had Mrs. Heavey, you had Monty Welsh, and then you had the convent. And on the right then you had uh, McDonald's, the builders, and you had Jackie Finley, and uh, Superintendent Carr, Mikey Regan, was next to that and Mikey in 1947 the big freeze I was three years of age he drove a Model T across the lake and some lady walked me across in a pram to my mother's consternation across the lake in a pram I don't remember much of it as such <laughs> it you, went, you went down a bit further and then you had Thomas Scully the the, um, the uh, blacksmith and there could be shoeing wheels or there could be shoeing horses and you might have got a few bob for Holding a horse across from across the, the cathedral. cathedral. Yeah. yeah, and then there was usually activity around the cathedral as well. Um, we go from there to the handball alley. See, would we get a game? Temperance hall. The ball, the dance hall wasn't built at that stage. Okay. They used yeah. to have a carnival down there. The bumpers and the swinging boats and all that kind of stuff. And uh, we might end up going into Regan's um, the stoneworks there. Uh, there was always activity down there as well, and. Uh, it's just a magical place. Like yeah. the whole, we 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 learned uh, to be worldwide. Uh, yes, and we did so many odd jobs. We painted houses. We put in turf. You you was no pocket money, so you you had to earn your keep really as such because it was all geared towards the cinema on a Sunday. Okay. Cowboy films. Uh, Alan Ladd. Um, you had Randolph Scott. Um, you had the serials, which was Flash Gordon, Batman. Uh, and we'd be waiting for what happened at the end uh, from the previous Sunday. We'd be in the fourpenny seats and we'd duck into the eightpenny seats and Packy Morgan would come down with the flash lamp and usher us back in again uh, into the fourpenny seats. They were the hard seats. Yeah. Uh, but the cinema was unbelievable. And beside it then you had uh, Lee's. Yeah. Had they had the American parlour uh, with the jukebox. And that was a big thing. Like you had the, the ice cream with a cordial on it in a bowl. Okay. And you could sit in and um, listen to the latest songs on the jukebox. Would it have been quite expensive, Noel, or would it have been? Well, I'd say we only won ice cream a week. Maybe oh, yeah. that was it. <laughs> <laughs> it was something to look forward to. We would dally there as well as said, so we yeah. would, until we were thrown out. <laughs> Good at least. And... Uh, you had Her Wolf, you were saying before, there beside McDonald's, is it in... Her Wolf was there. Um, he, he taught music as well. And yeah. um, Rosie and uh, Inga, they were all pals. of. They, Rosie was about my age, Inga was a bit older, and the, the lads as well. But the interesting story there, Her Wolf was out of action. He was, he was sick one time, and um, a, a certain organist who... He, he probably had a little contraton with the Father O'Callaghan at one stage but they were fairly desperate in the cathedral anyway and uh, they asked him could he fill in and uh, 
he played perfectly during the Mass and all that type of thing. And at the end of the Mass, normally there's a piece that's usually Bach or Mozart or something. It's, it's usually a show-off piece by the organist, really, at that <laughs> stage. But just to get his own back, I think he played Horsey, Horsey, <laughs> Don't You Stop. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, needless to say, he never played in the cathedral after that. So didn't <laughs> I think he probably thought he was going to do it anyway. Yeah, fair play to him. Uh, tell, tell us, uh, you you were schooling, schooling. I went to what they call babies at the time, which was just up hundred yards up the road in the convent, the nuns. Uh, I went to national school then in Pickett's Lane. I think it was the SB offices. Mm-hmm. Um, and then secondary school, I went down to where the county council offices are, the De La Salle brothers. And uh, I did my intercert there, and I was tricking around with ponies and horses so much. My father told me I, I had to concentrate in studies. So uh, he said, pick wherever you want to go. And I met Paddy Corcoran uptown, and he said, go to Garbley, it's great. There's only 140 borders. So to get away from the horses and the ponies, I uh, went to Garbley. But the first Sunday that my parents called to see me, I was, uh, they were coming down the avenue in Garbley and I was riding a lovely Irish draft hunter out the avenue and my father jumped out of the car and he says, I sent you across here to get away from horses. Where did you get that horse? I said, Father Keys. I said, I'm looking after him for him. So I spent two years looking after the horse. I don't know, there was a few hundred acres of land there and I could jump to yeah. stone walls. And I used to also have a bag and I used to, you couldn't go out beyond a certain point in yeah. the avenue. So I had the bag and I used to ride the horse out. I'd take the orders from the lads for tipsy cakes and chocolate and cleaves, toffee, that rock-hard toffee and stuff like that. And I'd bring them back in the bag and distribute them. Fantastic. Yeah. Good on you. And tell us, uh, the horses. We're going to get onto that now in a second ago, or in a second, but we're going to have your first piece of music, Noel, and it's... Uh, oh no, which way did we go? We're going to go with Bill Healy. Bill Haley. Bill Haley. Bill Haley and the Comets, Rock Around the Clock. Why do, what's the, what's the story with this guy? Well, that was the 50s, you know, um, and that was kind of liberation, you know, for young people. You know, here we had rock and roll. It was uh, uh, breaking the norm as such, you know, and uh, hairdos and clothes and the collars up, you know, and uh, a lot of us used to try and train the hair back into what they call the DA. Uh, I won't say what that translated, but it was ducks something <laughs> and uh real cream and uh it was liberation really I, I was only uh barely teenager at that stage but um it was something out of the norm and i think bill haley came to ireland he, he could have come to 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 galway as well mm-hmm. i know johnny cash did and a few yes, more of them, yeah, yeah 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 oh, well, well we'll have a listen to bill haley so one two three o'clock four o'clock rock Five, six, seven o'clock, eight o'clock, rock. Nine, ten, eleven o'clock, twelve o'clock, rock. We're going to rock around the clock tonight. Put your glad rags on, join me, hun. We'll have some fun when the clock strikes one. We're going to rock around the clock tonight. We're going to rock, rock, rock till broad daylight. We're going to rock, going to rock around the clock tonight. When the clock strikes two, three, and four, if the band slows down, we'll yell for more. We're going Around the clock tonight We're gonna rock, rock, rock Till broad daylight We're gonna rock, gonna rock Around the 
Bill Haley and the Comets. <laughs> and uh, tell us, Noel, uh, horses were going to have to get into this. This is your time in Moore Street. What got you involved in horses, your huge interest? I suppose my initial interest was my mother. My mother was interested in horses. She came from um, uh, a business, the pub grocery, but my, my grandfather had a farm as well. And uh, he used to keep Galway sheep. He, he was one of the founders of the Galway Sheep Society in 1924. And they showed the sheep uh, in 1927 at the spring show. But um, and my uncle as well rode horses. And uh, it kind of developed. We, I never had a horse like at that stage or a pony or anything. I wasn't, um, uh, we, we didn't have land as such. But um, I, I started doing things with Josie Morgan, say delivering, delivering milk, milking cows and... Um, the kind of deal was if I finished the milk round early on a Saturday morning, um, I could take the pony and go out hunting wherever it was. Could be out at Dartfield or could be Lockray. Only the near meets where I could hack to. We didn't have any horse boxes or anything like that. And it was bare back at Esther's. And I have to thank Michael Dempsey for getting me a saddle. Uh, I had no saddle either. And I had no riding hat or boots or... All we had is a flat cap, and you have to be careful not to lose your flat cap. You turn it back to front because the wind would whip it off otherwise, you know. And um, I started... Hold on, you'd turn up at a hunt with no saddle. No saddle. (laughs) (laughs) No saddle and no hat and no riding jacket. I'd I'd love to see somebody try that these days. You see, there were no outlets really at that stage. The only time you got some riding gear would be from an auction in a big house, as we called it. But my mother had a habit of buying the contents of the back hall, and there was no riding gear in the contents of the back hall. It was usually a press with nails and screws and stuff like that in the drawers. So uh, eventually uh, she made a, a, a velvet, what looked like a, a riding hat with cardboard. But sure, I fell on the road in my head one time, and it was a useless thing altogether, you know. I mean, health and safety. There was no health and safety. No guys in in yellow vests or anything <laughs> like that. But I just loved it. And um, I used to jump the pony onto the road with Josie's place there as well and jump off the road the far side. And where I was, Pat O'Neill now was a very good friend of mine. Um, Pat and myself then started hacking horses to hunts because, uh, for Willie Lee. Mm-hmm. We'd collect them about 8 o'clock in the morning and we could hack Tath and Rye and they'd be hired out because Willie was building up a business there and he had only one horse uh, in the early days a horse called Dan an Irish draft horse and then he bought another horse and he sold that horse he bought two horses that's the way he used to do it if he sold a horse he'd buy two so Pat and myself used to head off about 8 o'clock in the morning we were only teenagers mm-hmm. you ride the horse in the middle it'd have one each side of you and uh, you'd be coming back in the dark and with the horse if you brought a horse from hack the horse over to from Loch Ray, was Willie up in Al Cross at this stage, or where was he? Oh, Willie passes by in the Volkswagen car and <laughs> waved to us. <laughs> well, would, would the horses be wrecked by the time they? No, they, they were superbly fit. So you'd be just tipping along. Oh, you just walk. I mean, you couldn't do anything if you were bringing a couple of horses either side of you. It wasn't. Let's go for it, Pat. Oh no, 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 no! You'd be you'd be walking and trotting. Mm. But what you were hoping for is that some of these people who hired out the horses, whether it be American, Charlie High used to come down, and Toddy O'Sullivan from the Gresham, Tony Power, who was a journalist of the Irish press, all these guys used to come down for a jolly. But after two days hunting, like, they weren't fit for much, so they weren't because they were partying. So we used to get the horses. And um, we'd have maybe an hour or so, or two hours was a bonus. And we do it for that because we didn't have horses of our own. So... Mm-hmm. Um, 
we just loved it and we'd shorten up the leathers the stirrups coming back like jockeys like Lester Pickett and we thought we were the bee's knees you know so <laughs> just touch of madness but Josie was very good to me that way and right. um, went on from that Father Malai who unfortunately lost his life there a few years ago he was a, a curious hair I used to look, uh, exercise a horse from him he kept him with Michael Dempsey out in okay, okay. and I was I was learning the piano from Miss Duan at the time so I was and uh, I, I didn't turn up and she used to complain to my mother um, but she spotted me riding this horse across from uh, one side of the road to the other and uh, but I, I used to ask her she used to play the piano in Cool Park for WB Yeats and Lady Gregory and I'd say tell me about Cool Park again because I wouldn't have my homework done on the piano I could play a middle C that was all I could play <laughs> and it developed and then Michael Dempsey um, he used to loan me horses Willie loaned me horses and anybody who wanted a pony whether it was half mad or whether it was broken or whatever it was uh, we take it and uh, I was in Athen Ryan I remember a, a pony oh, I was a wild pony and he ran away with me and we ended up in Castle Ellen I don't know where the hunt was but I was in Castle Ellen anyway <laughs> I lost my good cap as a result the cardboard cap yeah the cardboard <laughs> cap. there was no loss anyway, so it wasn't <laughs> you can still um, geez, that's amazing now in yeah. our fairness and uh, where did the uh, uh, Father Malloy would have kept the horse, as you said, out with Dempsey's and stuff like that. Father Malloy was from Roscommon and um, they had a farm up in Roscommon. Oh, yeah. And he had horses up there. He was always in, in, into horses for, from the time he was very, very young. He was a, good, a very good horseman. And Father Keyes in uh, Garbally? He hunted as well. He, he ta- hunted. He taught Irish uh, in Garbally. And was he, he wasn't the president then? No, he wasn't. He, 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 he took on the president, or he was president. He, he, he was president later on. Later on, yeah. Uh, Louis Page was the president when I was there. Yeah. Yeah. And were there day boys then? There were day there boys There were day then. boys, about 80 day boys. Joe Casty, the bishop. Yes. Yeah. Joe was there. He was a priest at the time. He taught me English. He, he probably was one of the greatest influences on me, and indeed on all the rest of the students. We could never speak highly enough about him. He... he he was inspirational, um, and we loved uh, theatre as mm-hmm. a result of it. N- not alone, ha- had, like I was in HMS Pinafore, for example, and I had the lead part in the Arcadians, which was a very unusual. You don't see the Arcadians. That I, 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 don't, I don't know it, Noel. What it was what? by Henry Monckton, you know, all down Piccadilly, dilly, dilly, down by the park. I was a, it was fantastic. You, you, you drop into a never everland. They, they launched me from the ceiling. In Garbally, in the uh, in the hall, yes, um, and I was supposed to parachute in. Okay, um, but uh, Henry Moncton, uh, I think it was Henry Moncton, wrote it, and uh, some lovely music and an operetta, operetta, yeah. operetta, yeah. But not alone did and uh, Bishop Cassidy uh, was over the operettas at the he time. He used to produce it? them, yeah. But he used to encourage us to write stuff mm-hmm. to perform for the students on the weekend. And we had a couple of guys, Owen Stanton was one, he was brilliant and uh, he was dramatic at the same time. He used to throw the script across the stage at the very end and castigate the cast, you know, it was all part of that uh, thespian type thing, you know. <laughs> but uh, it, it brought out creativeness, you know, not to be afraid to experiment because, you know, in my era you were taught to uh, be quiet and yes, uh, yes. children should be seen and not heard. But Bishop Joe was, he was an incredible man that way. And I remember poetry to this day. 
that um, while I don't remember other stuff that he taught me and uh, I wouldn't say like he wrote two plays in Wild Earth and another play as well which were performed we performed Irish plays in the All-Ireland and at Lone as well granted we didn't know much about what we were saying but, <laughs> <laughs> but we learned the words anyway yeah. I, I remember I was a sergeant in the guards and I'm kind of vertically challenged though I mean I probably was big at that stage <laughs> but uh, I recited lots of lines and I'm not sure I knew what they You're were right, yeah, yeah. Them out. but that was great that a teacher like that and a priest a priest he, 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 was, he was just one of us yeah, yeah great yeah. man Good yeah. on him. Good yeah. on him. You uh, so your uh, so your your love of horses uh, are de- is there, and uh, tell us you finished up with. Were you a good student? No. <laughs> I I I I was a bit of a rebel. Like if, you know, I, I I could have done a lot better, but uh, I I I just lacked concentration. I, my mind was always elsewhere. But yeah. I got through the leaving anyway. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how I did it, but uh, my education came later. Yes, yeah, as we'll, we'll chat about. Yeah. Tell us uh, yourself and what are 20 guys from Garbley hit over to where? Over to England? Uh, in our Leaving Search year, 20 of us went over to Butlins and Bognor Regis. Uh, <laughs> we worked in the bars and all that. And uh, God, we had a great time over there. So we had, I, I remember going out in Bognor Regis one night, said to the lads, we'll go out in Bognor Regis. There must be good crack out here in Bognor Regis. Yeah. So, but sure, it wasn't half as good as... No, sure, yeah, as no, the, yeah, yeah, you were in the encampment, yeah. Billy Fury was playing. Oh, a lot of the guys, like, um, the Who? top musicians and that, they, they learned their craft in in, in the holiday camps. And when you went to a Butlins those days, uh, like, what kind of a gang would be... What kind of a clientele would come to Butlins? Oh, mostly working-class people. It was before the Spanish holidays, you know, yeah. where people could jet away in Spanish holidays. And yet, uh, people from the north of England, and uh, uh, you, you had families there. But they had, you know, you, all your food was supplied as well. <laughs> I remember one Friday morning, uh, we had been at a party the night before. There was parties on nearly every night. It was mm. great for, you were only 17 or 18 years of age. And uh, I was looking forward to a big fry, and I I had the the, the the tray and I had a plate on it full of rashers and sausages and everything, and I got a tap on the shoulder, and says you Irish, and uh, I said yeah, you Catholic, I said yeah, what are you doing with the all the fry? Oh, I said I'm very sorry, <laughs> I'll put it back. <laughs> well, this is on the Friday. I went for an egg. <laughs> <laughs> I was looking forward to this fright. (laughs) (laughs) Well, fair play, somebody was looking out for you. Your soul was saved. Your soul was saved that week. You had a swimming pool there and you had um, all sorts of entertainment, the red coats and music in the bars at night. We were working, you know, at night, stacking shelves. I didn't have a flashy job there. Yes, yeah, yeah. But it was good fun. Which would be fantastic. You wouldn't have made a million euro or dollar pounds out of it, but uh, would it have been all right money? Uh, just got us a fair okay. home, you know. Okay. But I remember we wanted the results of the leave and then we went into a phone box, no mobile phones at that time. And anyway, we said to the lad, you know, phone garbage there, find out how we did, you know. And the, the guy on the phone, he said, how did I do in the leaving? And they said, um, money was scarce, like, you know. He said, uh, I passed, lads, and he put the phone down. <laughs> we said, well, we want to find out about ourselves. So we had to phone again. <laughs> 
<laughs> Very good. Come here, we'll have uh, we've another one here. Um, the the Beatles. Yeah, the Beatles. Uh, I mean, they, uh, I, I love the Beatles music. In '63, I was in London, and um, yeah, the Beatles were really at the height of their career at that stage, you know. And I saw them in Dublin actually, just crossing from the Gresham Hotel. They played in the Carlton, in uh, in Dublin as well. And uh, funnily enough, uh, a few years later, a pal of mine used to keep cars for George Harrison uh, over in England. He was in Guildford, and. Um, George Harrison had a Ferrari and the guy that had the, a barn rented for him was a Formula One mechanic and uh, George Harrison used to bring him everywhere in the helicopter because uh, but uh, um, his name was Andrew and uh, he wanted to be included on the label and George Harrison on one of his recordings he had to Andrew apprentice mechanic or sorry apprentice millionaire <laughs> so he was mentioned in the dispatches you know so we hear beat the Beatles eight days a week
the Beatles. I should have uh, played the Pirates of Penzance, but we'll get back to them now the next time. Um, tell me this, Noel, you're, you've over Butlins. Did, did you manage to ring Garbley to see did you pass the leaving? Uh, I think I did. But we, <laughs> did. we were scraping the pot for money at that stage. So, <laughs> and you didn't put down the phone? <laughs> no, no. So, uh, 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 most of us passed. Uh, there were some bright guys. Um, Colbert Kearney, Philip Petter, they were really exceptional students, you know, uh, in that year. Where um, was Kearney from? Was he Bellingham? Kearney was from Dublin. He oh, was Dublin. from a really working class area in Dublin and he ended up professor of English in uh, UCC. Pettit was from Ballygar, Pettit's shop in Ballygar. He ended up, uh, he's professor of philosophy, I think, in Princeton. Uh, My God. Uh, yeah. they're, they're, they were, I, I thought to myself, sure, they only had a better memory than the rest of us. That's all. <laughs> they weren't that exceptional. <laughs> That's the way. But That's I meet the them, like, we've it. had a lot of past pupils in the meantime, and the lads have come back, you know, for, for that. Parik Golan, who is from Ballasloe, yeah. is in the class as well. Parik is a professor of head and neck surgery in uh, Toronto. In a, how would he be answered to the Galans? Yeah, yeah. The, yeah. Hotel, okay. Yeah. 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 Some yeah. very talented guys who did very well. And, uh, they were more focused than me. They weren't into horses. <laughs> <laughs> you see, you finish up, you, you pass your leaves. What are you going to do now, Noel? What are you thinking of doing now after that? Or have, you, have you a plan? Not a clue. Not a clue. My sister was working in the Shelburne. She said, uh, I think there's a job here. There's guys doing hotel management. I said, maybe I'll go there then. So I went up to the Shelburne. And loved it, really. And, um, oh, there were lots of very interesting people there. Burton and Taylor and Peter O'Toole and all these people were staying there. And um, I ended up doing accountancy at night in Ratmines. And I ended up eventually doing the internal audits for the for the six hotels in Ireland. Um, and uh, enjoyed it. It wasn't great money. I, I had a bed sit in Dawson Street. Myself and uh, a pal of mine, uh, were the only guys in Dawson Street except the Lord Mayor. There was three of us uh, living in Dawson Street at the time. All our food we got in the Shelburne and uh, I think we had two pound a week over or something and we went to Donahue's pub uh, and drank pints and the uh, Dubliners were learning three strings or three chords at that stage and Christy Moore was over in the corner. He was he was learning a few more chords there. There were at the early days but it was, it was a great time in Dublin, you know? Yeah. Great time. Yeah. Music, the ballad scene was really getting going, you know. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, fantastic, great pub, great pub, great pub, yeah, yeah. But uh, oh, sure, we learned all the songs and stuff like that, and we down by Christchurch, down by the Liffey, and all these <laughs> ones there. <laughs> and tell me, uh, so you you did accountancy. What did you go on to do then? Uh, what did I do then? I was doing that. I went to Bank of Ireland Finance. Oh, no, I went to Leiden's in Galway for three months. Okay. Couldn't settle, you know. Couldn't uh, settle in Galway. You'd see the big bright lights of Dublin. Uh, Jimmy Leiden had a few meetings with me, and I said, oh, you're on a different salary to me. But uh, he was brilliant. Jimmy Leiden was brilliant. But I, I just couldn't settle, and I, I said, back to Dublin. And um, I got, luckily enough, I got a, a good job in Bank of Ireland Finance. It was mm-hmm. Foster Finance. Bank of Ireland had just bought it uh, a year or two before. And um, we were dealing with the, the less desirable uh, type of finance that uh, the banks were not dealing in, like hard purchase. And okay. that time you rented a television, you couldn't afford to of buy course, a television. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Block discounting, we used to sell that to dealers and that. And uh, then I ended up in deposits there and um, handling all the, the money coming from different directions. 
and um, I spent three years there and I was playing rugby up in Wanders I, I, I played rugby for Wanders for a few years and uh, Johnny Coggovan from I think he's down down there New Inn he was on the wing he was playing for Turnure we were playing Turnure and he shouted across and he said there's jobs going in IBM Mullins are you interested so next breakdown of play I said what kind of jobs Johnny are they going he said uh, sales oh sure he said I said maybe I'll have a go at that so I applied anyway and I I got a job in IBM. Yeah. You could and just that was admit. 1970. And like IBM was uh, the big monster at that stage, wasn't it? I mean, it it, it, it ruled computers at that oh, stage. Yeah. 430,000 yeah. people working for IBM worldwide. Unbelievable. And that was fantastic. The reward, recognition, all those things that I didn't get, say, you don't normally get in, in other jobs. So this um, would be kind of an American style. Very American yeah. style. And lots of travel, stuff like that. And um, I was in sales, and then I ran marketing for 26, 27 years there as well. Um, 1979, then they asked me to go to Paris. Uh, well, so I was supposed to go to South Africa, but South Africa wasn't that safe at the time. Uh, the lads down there... What, do you, what, what year are you talking about then? 79. Um, right, yeah. Uh, there was a few of the pals that I worked with then. They said, see if you can find some other location because you'll be living in a compound and that. And yeah. um, I said, right. So they offered me Paris and uh, to cover Africa, Middle East, Eastern Bloc countries, Pakistan, Saudi Arabia, uh, Iceland, all those places that you wouldn't normally go to, which was brilliant for yes, me. You know? Yeah, yeah. So it was Nigeria and Kenya and Zambia and all those places. And um, I, I, I really enjoyed it, you know. Um, there wasn't much marketing to do because the, the, the business was easy. Like we sold to Aramco in, in um, Saudi Arabia and they just, they had so much money. It was unbelievable, you know. And uh, that was interesting because I was in Jeddah and I, I, the first morning I came out, uh, a Rolls Royce came up the road and uh, followed by three camels. Um, you know, there were such contrasts in, in, in that society at that stage, but it was very educational for me mm -hmm. to, uh, to meet people like that, you know, and try and understand the culture. Um, I ran a meeting there and there was a guy who wore a cap um, and he was wearing this cap and I, I remember saying to this guy um, who was with me, I wonder, I wonder is his head cold or something like that, you know? Uh, or has he the flu or something and I got the courage just to ask him because from a religious point of view or from an ethnic point of view you don't want to offend the man either mm -hmm. and I, I said just a matter of interest why are you wearing the cap and he said well he said I was in um, um, uh, Medina and uh, he said uh, I had to shave my head you know for for the um, Hajj that um, shaved my head and uh, and that and he said, my head's been cold with the air conditioning. So he says, I, that's the reason I'm wearing the cap, you know. <laughs> so, but <laughs> it was great. And Very practical. And then down in Africa, ah, I had great times, really, you know. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was uh, but I, I had my wife, Emer, and, and the two kids, they were in Paris. So it might not have been as good for them because I was traveling a uh, good bit at the time. And where did you meet your wife? I met her in Bank of Ireland Finance. Bank of Ireland Finance. Yeah, I met her at a Christmas party one year and then... I met her at a Christmas party the following year. This must be fate. And uh, <laughs> it's pushing us together. <laughs> and uh, then we started just going out to, 
together. But there were so many parties in Dublin at the time, you know. Mm. It was like Billy Connolly said, you walked along with a six-pack in your hand and you had your ear cocked to <laughs> see would you hear the music. And Rat Mines is a great spot from that point of view, you know. Yeah. And uh, there was always parties there. And uh, Simon Garfunkel was big that time, Bridge Over Troubles Waters, you yeah, know. They, yeah, yeah, You heard that being played all the time. We knew all the words, you know. Uh, music, parties. And uh, we worked as well, though, you know. Yes, yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Come here, we're going to play another song here, and we're, and we're going to get into the, the horses big time. So we're going to, oh, before we forget about it, we're going to do the Pirates of Penzance. Did you do the Pirates of Penzance? You didn't do it in Garbley. You did HBS Pinafore. I did Pinafore in Garbley, but uh, my brother wanted to sing in a musical society, and I drove him in, he hurt his leg. And uh, he was being uh, Glasnevin Music Society. Um, um, uh, very, fam David. very famous uh, musical society. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, they asked me, did I want to audition? And I said, well, I'm only driving them in. So anyway, I ended up singing scales. He said, can you sing a verse of a song? And um, all I could remember was Silver Threads Amongst the Gold. My mother used to sing. So I sang a verse of that anyway. So I was accepted as a baritone or a bass, and my brother was accepted as a baritone. And we must have spent 14 years, 15 years, and we did two shows in the National Concert Hall every year. But the Pirates was, was departure because we did film themes, uh, which was very interesting. I, I never thought you could do uh, film themes like Amadeus and all that and Hum Along, or we sang in, in uh, um, uh, Yiddish, and Star Wars language. Uh, I'd never watched Star Wars, but there is a language apparently. And uh, we'd done a lot of operatic stuff as well. And we did the Merry Widow, but the Pirates, we had uh, Claudia Boyle, who's a very famous name mm -hmm. now, and we had, um, we had a, a, a bass from Australia, Tony Finnegan, who's a producer in, in, in Dublin. He was uh, the major general. and. Uh, with great crack doing that, you know. Uh, the music is great from the pirates. Uh, there we have. What, what do we? What, what have we got here, Noel? Well, the foreman, I think, wasn't it? Because I, I was one, a policeman yeah. and I was a pirate. <laughs> <laughs> Well meant. Correct, correct. 
expressions don't appear. Calculated men to cheer. Who are going to meet their fate in a highly nervous state? Still to us it's evident these attentions are well meant. Observe to greater stress on the risks that are lost press And of reference a lack to a chance of coming back Still perhaps it would be wise not to cop or criticize For it's very evident these attentions are well meant Yes, perhaps it would be wise not to cop or criticize For it's very evident these attentions are well meant Yes, it's very evident Pirates of Penzance. Uh, I, when I was in Garbley myself, actually, I was involved in HMS Pinafore. Father Colm Allman had taken over the mantle from, uh, probably, well, probably right, uh, Father Gar- uh, Bishop Cassidy. And uh, like that, he was bananas into uh, operettas mm-hmm. and stuff like that. He was the president yeah. when we were there. But uh, we had great crack. Yeah. I mean, you'd never think uh, we'd be running around yeah. the poor first and second years going around as they were the little <laughs> they, were the <laughs> they were the girls careful <laughs> <laughs> but anyway we, we got through it we got through it uh, uh, anyway um, 
Right, we better get on to this uh, fairly quick. Noel, your horses, you, you got involved in the horses uh, all the time. You're in IBM, you went to Paris and stuff like that. But all the time, Noel, all the time, you're connected to the horse, the, the horsing, the horse field. And it's mainly show jumping and stuff. Hunting, uh, venting and show jumping. And yeah. um, riding club... Uh, and the hunting um, locally, the Fingal Harriers, there, I hunted with them for a number of years. I used to come down to Galway on a Saturday as well and go out with the Blazers. Uh, Jerry Nevin, all these people that I knew uh, from the early days uh, were all there. Pat O'Neill, Pat myself used to head off. But uh, sure, we wanted to be like the gentry, even though we'd no money as such. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and we, we managed to do it. But then I, I went out to visit my brother Morris, um, who was more into athletics, and um, I ended up buying a place uh, with a little bit of space around it, and I was able to keep my own horses there and ponies for the kids. And oh, where, where was this? Scurries, near, near Scurries. Um, and uh, kept horses there for a number of years, and ponies as they come up. But they, you know, they gave up once they left school uh, as such, you know. And uh, rightly so in some ways, because you nearly prefer team sports for kids you know it's a better from a bonding point of view yes. it's all right for a while in individual sports but team sports i think are, are good but for kids growing up i think to have responsibility for any animal whether it's a dog or a cat or a pony um it's 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 the responsibility that's important um and uh, philip and sheila my my son and daughter they were very interested in and that but no longer but they're interested my daughter is a dog and that meant, but she's very good with animals so I kept uh, and I was hunting and um, um, doing a bit of show jumping doing a little bit of eventing and stuff like that but writing all the time for the Irish field um, and wh wh what brought that about what was your first time to go to the Irish field and say I'd love to write about that or were you approached no 81 uh, back to Loch Ray, you had to go at anything, you know. Um, I mean, if you asked me to go to the High Court and defend somebody, I would have done it. It's just that can-do attitude you got in Loch Ray. Yeah. Painted houses, put in turf, whatever it is. Yeah, it's funny the things when you look back later in life and you look... The, the life skills you, you learn in a small town. I mean, they say that it, ta it takes a town to rear a child. And... If you think of it, that's that's exactly what happened to me. Mrs. Kelly fed me when my mother wasn't there. Uh, Kings, for example, would do the same thing, you know. Um, Josie Morgan, I mean, I would have my meals up there. You know, the town was rearing me, even though I didn't realise it. Yeah, um, yeah. So, um, I remember writing an article about the Blazers here, and I wrote another one in 1981, I think it was, and... Uh, I sent it into the Irish field. That time, you put in hard copy and they had to retype it again. And you had to get the, the, the photographs developed and you had to send the photographs separately. Now it's all digital, so mm -hmm. it's very easy to do nowadays. Mm -hmm. So um, I really, I, I went back to um, UCD when I retired when I was 55. I retired at 55 from IBM. And I went back to UCD and I studied journalism. Loved it, loved it. Loved everything. Valerie Cox and Owen Corey and these guys were the lecturers and learned about defamation and writing styles and finance, writing about finance and um, did radio with Valerie as well uh, for, for a while um, and production and stuff like that. And I flew through it, but I, it was the most enjoyable 
period of education. Yeah. I my education came later. Yes. I never knew what I wanted to do at the front end. Yeah. And I muddled through various jobs and probably did okay, you know. And uh, but at the end, then I start doing what I wanted to do. And I remember the first evening right, driving into UCD uh, for a lecture, and um, I had a, a nice Jeep uh, because I was my pension was coming in. Bought the Irish Times. Bought a coffee and a scone. And if I contrast that to when I was doing accountancy here at Mines, I hadn't a cent. I couldn't afford to replace the battery in the car. I said, this is the way to go to college. <laughs> and uh, I ended up doing tutor for a couple of years for, for yeah. them as well. And um, I write more for the Irish field then. And then I was doing a lot of features and profiles of people. Tommy Brennan and Michael Dempsey, Willie Leahy. Uh, did a few in Australia when I was out there. Uh, France, uh, America. And I said, maybe I'll put these in a book because I was conscious the articles I was writing for the Irish Field were probably lighting the fire on a Monday morning, you know, putting the range, and that was the end of it. So I produced my first book then, which is Horse Tales and Hunt Talk, which is 31 different um, uh, equestrian personalities, Iris Kellett, John Houston, uh, all these people. And uh, that was the first one. I self-published as well. I was about to say, how did you finance that? Uh, I financed it myself because I had a, I had a publisher, but mm -hmm. they were dictating the style and the grammar and all that. And I said, oh, no, no, no. Can do in Lockray attitude again. I do it myself. <laughs> so uh, I got a designer and uh, I, who I did five books with in yeah. the end and uh, got on well together and laid it all out. And then he put the finer detail on it. But I've also helped other people to write books. Um, uh, we just produced a second uh, book on the showbands in uh, in uh, Loud and Mead. The showbands. Showbands, yeah, yeah, from the from the sixties to the current day, um, which has been good fun. And I've also helped people with memoirs, which is another one. And one man in particular, I helped to uh, do a book because he had no experience whatsoever, and he had limited education at the time, but he was a good storyteller. It doesn't mean if you're educated, you're not a good storyteller. Mm -hmm, absolutely. And he said to me, the second last visit, he said, Noel, the reason I want to finish this by a certain date is I've been diagnosed with Alzheimer's. Oh, God. Oh, God. His mother left him when he was six years of age, walked out. And it was a great story. Great story how they succeeded in the whole thing. And I thought that was a poignant moment, you know, he'd mm -hmm. Alzheimer's, but he wanted his story to be told to his family. And he just printed 30 copies or something like that. Yeah. It so was, it was a, I think memoir writing became very popular. I remember going to a writing course up in Dublin. I think somebody, somebody dropped out and, and rang me. They knew I was in Dublin and said, do you want to take it? I can't do it. And I dropped over to it. But memoir writing was very big yeah. for a time. And uh, it's, it's very important. Very important. Very important. Yeah. People have uh, incredible lives. Yeah. Incredible lives. And um, so you got, the, you, you published uh, these books a uh, yeah. bunch of them and which one was your your you're always involved with the you always went to the uh, the rds yeah i've been a member of the rds for years I, i've been on the library and our archives committee for a few years as well and uh i still go there once a week um and uh did a lot of the research there as well as well as other libraries you, you do a lot of research when you're writing books obviously um, yeah. and uh they've been very good to me really in terms of making books available to me and looking for manuscripts on this and that and uh, 
I I then was producing a photographic um, record of the Irish horse fairs, uh, Ballinasloe, Carmi, Spencil Hill, all those horse fairs. And then I said, nobody's written a history of them. So I started writing the history, the fairs, charters, all these things, currency, barter, dealer, uh, the um, blocker, the tangler, the halter man, you know, description of all these people and that. And uh, I published that. That was my second book. And then I had a lot of photographs of um, the Irish hunter, that Irish draft or uh, Irish draft cross with the thoroughbred and their exceptional ability over any country like stone walls and ditches and all that so that was my third book uh, and it's a coffee table book because uh, I think it's just something people like to browse through yes yes very successful in America in Germany and places like that because they have such respect for the traditional Irish horse as such and I have a history of the the Connemara pony and of the cob and of the Irish draft and back to the Irish hobby which was um, uh, a cavalry horse. It was a small horse um, which became extinct in the 16th century. And a lot of the speed actually goes back to the Irish hobby as such. But I went back long before that as well in terms of the research uh, back to the National Library. Tell us, tell us, Noel, the fairs around the way, which have been huge, are they, will they last going forward or are they... So you're hitting into everything has been sanitized and everything has been it feels like it's just coming in further and further and more difficult and more difficult to put these kind of things on be it insurance be it whatever yeah i think you put your finger on it there i think that um health and safety is very mm. very important uh welfare of animals has become very mm-hmm. which is rightly so to mm-hmm. welfare of animals and places like banlaslow it's such a big economic contribution to banlaslow but they have a very good welfare system there with the guards and the RSPCA um, and they control that fair very well but insurance is a problem as well um, some some fairs have actually gone by the wayside so they have um, and then there's a better quality of horse being produced probably as well too and uh, they've been sold at Goresbridge and Cavan and places like that because they want more for them Microchipping has become very important, identification of horses right through from, from, uh, from being born to, to uh, when they eventually go to sleep, and, um, yeah. which is important as well to track that from a welfare point of view. And uh, most horses are microchipped nowadays, but there, there are breaches obviously there that the authorities have to clamp down on, like there was a case recently where there was two microchips found in one horse, you know, so I don't know how that happened, but there, there are things that, we live in a society where, where these things have to be controlled, you know, and rightly yeah. so. Yeah. Now, I remember, like, during the Celtic Tiger, it became very popular. People had a lot of disposable income, or so they thought, they had a lot of disposable, disposable income, and got ponies and got horses, and then the crash happened, and next thing, the bottom fell out of the market and there was ponies. I know this from people being told that they were being dropped off in the woods up in mm. up the mm. up, up up the way beyond the lake here. And I was tra- chatting to somebody else that uh, that this guy had a lot of horses down around Monivay and he could come in the next day and there was three more horses in his field. Mm. Mm. Do you know, they were just being dropped off. People. Probably the value had dropped, you see, at that stage. And uh, But rehoming um, and retraining have become very very uh, much emphasis 
emphasise really at the moment. Uh, and that's cropped up because of racehorses. You have racehorse to riding horse. Um, a lot of the owners as well have no land themselves. And that, that is a problem because when it comes to rehoming, um, they really the responsibility is, is to either find a home for them or to pay for um, a, a homing of, of but it's like a dog you know if you get a dog a dog is for life you know yes um, yes you know you can't just get tired of it at Christmas or after Christmas or things like yeah. that you know and um, I think responsibility for animals has become very important and rightly so um, and I think you're going to see a lot more emphasis on that over the next few years is there is the the population of horses and stuff like that is it squeezed down or is it still oh but they're probably producing a better quality horse yeah. nowadays because the cost because there was no the market went out for anything that was below average yeah. nobody would buy them exactly the, the cost and the production of horses is expensive game nowadays you know and and uh, um, but, but we're, we're retaining a certain number of the traditional Irish horse, which is really the basis of what made Ireland famous, because they became the war horses. They, they, the English were a huge trade in England as well for, for them, because they loved the horse. I go to England over the years uh, just to trace the Irish horses that are hunting and that there, and they're, they're chuffed. I was in Germany, and there was, out of 120 horses, I think 90 were Irish bred, you know, and there were... This is like a badge of honour to ride an Irish horse in. Well, we're going to come back to this now. We're going to listen. We've got Leonard Cohen uh, singing Suzanne next now. And then we're going to come back and you're going to tell us, bring us through uh, to the golden age of uh, Ireland and uh, Aga Khan and all that kind of stuff above in the horse show and a few other things. But uh, Leonard Cohen, you you picked a Le- Leonard Cohen and I've picked Suzanne for you. You happy with that pick? I'm happy with that because that was one of the original because at the time he was more a poet than a performer than a singer you know and uh, that goes back to the Greek islands where he met Suzanne and uh, they spent some time there together Um, and uh, he progressed from there he was encouraged to sing uh, by by, uh, some lady and uh, then he started singing and then he put together a band and I went to see him in the point a few years ago the band, I mean, the instrumentalists were superb. You could understand every word he sang. He played from 8.30. He was 72, I think, at the time. He played from 8.30, no warm-up band, and he finished at half 11. Very good. Here we are. But he, he's an acquired taste. <laughs> <laughs> My sister absolutely adores him, and I only dip in and out of him, which I don't think you can do, but uh, there you go. Here we go, Leonard Cohen, Suzanne. Suzanne takes you down to her place near the river You can hear the boats go by You can spend the night beside her And you know that she's half crazy But that's why you want to be there And she feeds you tea and oranges That come all the way from China And just when you mean to tell her That you have no love to give her Then she gets you on her wavelength And she lets the river answer That you've always been her lover 
travel with her And you want to travel blind And you know that she will trust you For you've touched her perfect body with your mind And Jesus was a sailor When he walked upon the water And he spent a long time watching from his lonely wooden tower And when he knew for certain only drowning men could see him He said all men will be sailors then until the sea shall free them But he himself was broken long before the sky would open Forsaken Almost human, he sank beneath your wisdom like a stone And you want to travel with him And you want to travel blind And you think maybe you'll trust him For he's touched your perfect body with his mind Suzanne takes your hand and she leads you to the river She is wearing rags and feathers from Salvation Army counter And the sun pours down like honey on Our Lady of the Harbor And she shows you where to look among the garbage and the flowers there are Heroes in the seaweed There are children in the morning They are leaning out for love They will lean that way forever While Suzanne holds the mirror And you want to travel with her And you want to travel blind And you know you can trust her For she's touched your perfect body with her mind That's wonderful. That's absolutely wonderful. You're a convert now, I think. I, I've converted, I think, to just one or two songs that... Uh, <laughs> that uh, uh, I don't know, you've got to do your uh, apprenticeship, I think, with this, this man. Um, as I said, my sister is loving it. And Brian Winters, I had on before, is an avid fan as well of Leonard Cohen. Come here, tell me, we were just saying off air that, uh, uh, could I say you drank with Christy Brown? Uh, you drank at the same place well, as him? I, <laughs> I drank in the same place as him. Uh, Christy was, he, he could be... Uh, uh, <laughs> He was very sociable, was he? He was a sociable, a great poet, Christy Brown, and uh, his mother. His mother was an inspiration, actually, because she she read the classics to him and that type of thing. And I have a card at home, actually, from Christy Brown. When I was at IBM, um, we donated a typewriter which would correct itself, and I brought it out to him, and he, he, he sent a letter afterwards uh, thanking me for it because it oh, made a big difference fantastic. to when he was writing, you know, that he could now not use Tippex, you know, that he... He could uh, do it. That's left amazing. Foot. I haven't 
thought or heard of Christy Brown in so long. Yeah. In so long, I mean, obviously after the film. Tell us. I remember growing up, we grew up across the street, and we'd come in when the horse show was on, everybody in Ireland would sit down and watch the horse show, and you'd Eddie Mack, and then you'd say, um, McDara, is it? Or what was his name? Uh, Paul. Paul Dara. Dara. Yeah. Paul Dara. Conpar. Yeah, I mean, everybody knew them. Yeah. And also, I remember looking at the wall and they put it up a little bit more. Puissance. A little bit more, yeah. the puissance, is it? Yeah. yeah. And uh, everybody knew it. So you go to school the next day and everyone would have known mm. uh, about it and talk about it. Mm. Was, there, was, that, was that a pinnacle at that time? I mean, has it reached those heights again? Or Oh, yeah. Well, if I come back to Loch Ray, I mean, the inspiration for show jumping was Colonel Dan Corrie. Um, oh, Colonel yeah. Dan Corrie... Um, he be Dan's uh, uncle, I think, uh, in the Lake Road there. Dan Senior. Yeah. Yeah. Dan and Colonel uh, Dan, Dan Curry was one of the most successful show jumpers. Uh, probably, I don't know if other people around Loch Ray realise, he won 55 international competitions in Europe, Canada, USA. Uh, he was on the only four in a row winner of the Aga Khan Cup. Um, he rode in 12 successful Nations Cups and um, he, he was just a phenomenal he, he had a career that lasted quite a long time another inspiration was uh, Paddy Griffin down Cara would it be Cara? Kilcullia 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 yeah uh, I'm thinking of the church collection they used to say Ballygastri Kilcullia and Dalesforth um, but Paddy had a horse called Matty Brown and uh, he sold to Harvey Smith um, and they said that Harvey gave him two checks, one to show the neighbours and one which was the real value of the, of the horse, you know. It's important to show the higher amount. <laughs> but uh, that horse went on and he won the Grand Prix in Dublin in 1970, they won the Aga Cup and he won two Hickstead derbies, which was a very, very tough event altogether. Other people in Loch Ray as well, uh, Kevin okay. Maloney was a fine show jumper as well too and uh, Kevin rode in the RDS in Dublin. Is Kevin uh, related to the Griffins? Is he? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Kevin has the taxi service here. Yes, oh yeah, he's Red. a neighbour of ours, yeah. But he rode for a lot of different people. But yeah. do you have people like Carl Daniels at the moment, who has exceptional mm-hmm. talent. He's out in Tokyo at the moment. Exceptional talent in eventing. Uh, young Daniel McElinden is another very good show jumper. He's been in Portugal recently jumping. But the first, uh, I made a documentary for the for the RDS on my experience of the um, Dublin Horse Show, but I was 11, I think, years of age, and my mother gave the address of um, a guest house in Lisa Street and put it in the back of an envelope for me. And Jack Daly was, lived in our street. He was the train driver from... The youth, there was a connecting line between Loch Ray and uh, Tymon. So she got Jack to put me on the Dublin train. Yeah, I'd, I'd never been to Dublin before. Like, So anyway, you I were, You were 11, 11 just yeah. 11, yeah. And I had an envelope and I had the address on the back of an envelope and I found the place in Leeson Street and I went for the show uh, for the week. And um, that was my first show. Uh, Ramando Dinzeo uh, was there. He bought a lot of Irish horses, Irish Kellett. Um, People I met afterwards, funny enough, I met Denzio in Italy uh, afterwards. I was doing an article north of Rome there. And uh, Iris Kellett I have in the first book. Uh, uh, Tommy Brennan, I have Tommy in the book and I become very friendly with Tommy. And um, But anyway, um, that time you had the Bambers from the north would have 50 horses entered. Uh, there were huge classes. There were 63 horses in the middleweight class there. But the pinnacle of the week was um, was the Aga Khan. And mm. you had the... 
uh, the marching bands yeah, had the arrival of the president. But funny enough, the opening of the Dublin Horse Show, which I've in my Dublin Horse Show book, is the arrival of the Lord Mayor in that beautiful gilded coach, um, which was, I think there was 20 or 30 coach builders in Dublin at the time. It was a phenomenal place for producing coaches. Um, but uh, then I, I got to photograph. I, I was on a committee in, in, in the RDS and the Library and Archives Committee for a number of years, and I still have a strong association with them. And uh, I would do a lot of the photographs in the main arena and places like that still. Uh, photograph Michael D. and Bernie Brennan, who was president. She's from uh, outside Galway there. She was president for a few years. But um, it's just a phenomenal competition because mm -hmm. um, it, it's over two rounds as well. Um, Keen O'Connor and yeah. uh, people like that at the moment. And then you have Jessica Springsteen and uh, you have Bill Gates' daughter. You have all those people who are there. And a few years ago, the Mexicans won it. And it was phenomenal. They'd never, I don't think they'd won a Nations Cup before. Yes. And uh, it was just magic in, in, in the main arena in the RDS. And I got friendly with one of the Mexicans. Uh, he's a man who was in a, a plane crash, had 82 operations. And uh, such a fun guy um but they had the sombreros out uh <laughs> it was just a different type of celebration it was like watching cricket and lords you know 50 years ago where you had all the guys in the blazers and the pens in the top pocket and now you had the west indian guys celebrating with flags and drums and everything like that and that's the way the mexicans were in the main arena when they won it and uh, just to be part of that for uh, some of those events and michael slavin who broadcast for years for RT. He's a good friend of mine. He was on to me last week there. And uh, Michael is a very distinctive voice and he's done a number of documentaries on the, um, the Aga Khan as well. But uh, probably there, there is a national uh, show jumping uh, in the RDS as well, which people forget about in Simmons Court. So you have all the kids from maybe 12, 10 years of age and that's where they learn their craft. Okay. Uh, right up from 12 two ponies to 14 two. Like the Derwins from Athlone, like they're, they're cracking performers. Um, we have won European medals and represented Ireland uh, across Europe. And um, there's also the showing classes, which is a big interest of mine, where you're showing the hunters, the heavyweight hunter, middleweight hunter, lightweight hunter. And um, uh, um, Olga Scully, actually, from Gort. Uh, Olga won the middleweight class there a few years ago with Sir Temple Touch was the name of the, the horse, which is a big thing for uh, Olga. Uh, Mark was uh, her father. Uh, he was a vet in court. Okay. And Maxie uh, was her brother, who actually had the bareback high jump record in the RDS for a few years, six foot eight. <laughs> <laughs> brave man, brave man. Yeah, yeah. Noel, absolutely fantastic talking to you. Do you one final thing, is the future bright for show jumping in Ireland? Yeah, I think it's... An eventing. Uh, I think it's right, yeah. We're still producing a lot of very good horses. Uh, yeah. We're producing a lot of quality horses. As I say, like, if you take the uh, British team that won the gold medal this week in eventing, um, Oliver Townsend, who's the... Mm -hmm. um, who's kind of the team captain there. He yes, he, yeah. He was riding an Irish-bred horse. And they're very good customers of... of uh, and, and also in America, they're, they're very good customers of the Irish horse as well, too. So if you produce the quality, it all goes back to the dam. They talk about the sires, mm -hmm. but the dam line, uh, they're trying to breed more performance or compete uh, the mares in particular. 
and give them a chance that way. And um, the the performance on the dam side is very very important. Okay. But I think the the future is bright because we're a nation of horse lovers and horsemen. Well, Irish people have that affinity with horses that I think some other nationalities don't have. You know. Yeah. Tell Noel uh, finishing up now, and it was great great chatting with you. And uh, fantastic! Look at very good with the. I see you've a couple of the books here, uh, the Dublin Horse Show picture of my memories in search of the Kerry Beagle. That's to do with the the dogs, the yeah, the hunting dogs. And the well, Irish well, they, that's uh, just one of the nine native breeds of dogs, and that's the man Stan Lynch from Cavan, and he wrote he wrote a lot of poetry. I I produced it. it was sitting on the shelf for seventy years, and uh, I actually produced that book. Uh, because his his uh, wife he died in eighty three, and I wrote all the links and edited, and Stan wrote great lines in poetry like all the streets are overflowing, horses coming, horses going, massive Clydesdales plumply round, entry looking sorts unsound, and he wrote a- another piece that Shakespeare I reckon wouldn't have even written. We have no envy for the country, we have no envy for the city. We were reared amongst hills and rocks. And we wouldn't barter our freedom for the servitude of clocks. Very nice. Very nice. Wonderful. Kavir Dole, do you want to give a shout out to anybody before we finish up? Well, just say hello to Emer, my wife, Philip and Sheila, uh, my son and daughter, and the west of Ireland, Orla, who's my niece, and she's in Portumna. Paul is local here in uh, in Lockray and Ivan is over in America and I'm sure he'll hear this broadcast at some stage and my good friend Pat O'Neill who's still somebody I uh, talk to every week on the phone or uh, well, during lockdown it was on the phone and I met him today for the first time in 14 months oh fantastic and Francis yeah fantastic very good friends great come here we're going to round off with Willie Nelson on the road again no bother Thanks very much, Noel. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. One, two, one, two, three, four. On the road again. Just can't wait to get on the road again. The life I love is making music with my friends. I can't wait to get on the road again. Road again, going places that I've never been, seeing things that I may never see again. I can't wait to get on the road again. On the road again.
just can't wait to get on the road again The life I love is making music with my friends Thank you very much.